Don't forget what you got to do. Mm, I pick up the lamp that you're about to knock over. No, you're going to have to clap. Okay. Lots of space. He's so good at that. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode something of the something show. Part of the something podcast something. And sponsored to you by something. Okay, let me uh, fill in the gaps like here. like ad-libs. Mm-hmm. Um, rapidly. Uh, 704. Oh. Uh, sorry, this is, you said like uh, Mad Libs, right? Yeah. I'm just, uh, you oh, okay. need an adverb. Yep. I need a um, number. Okay. 704. Uh, a adjective. No, an ad, that thing. A noun. Um, pterodactyl. Pterodactyl show. Uh, part of the, uh, we need another proper noun. Um, target. Target Podcast Network. Okay. Uh, and sponsored by? Your mom. <laughs> All right. Today we're going to talk about Jaguar because Derek just said a mom. Had a geriatric thing? moment. <laughs> we're going to talk about Jaguar. Or Jaguar. Jaguar. So many different pronunciations. Uh, and why Derek thinks they should be killed now because they suck. Try to take them out back and shoot them. God, that's really not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> You're supposed Jaguar? to defend yourself and be oh. like, no, it was a joke. Oh, yes. I mean, wonderful past. Yep. Made some great cars in the past. Uh, this is, uh, we do need to say Haggerty Podcast Network, right? Oh, yeah. yeah I tried. Uh, <laughs> I did a bad job of that. I apologize. Yeah, and this is the Target Podcast Network. Thank you. This episode is not <laughs> sponsored to you by Target Stores. It's at all. Part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. This is a Carmudgeon show. This is Jason Camisa. There, I fixed it all. And you are? Derek Tam Scott. With a hyphen in it. With a hyphen okay, in it. Okay, so uh, yes, we'll talk about all things Jaguar because Jaguar is probably, definitely one of the winningest Le Mans brands ever. Mm. No, uh, yeah, so Porsche and Audi have them beat, but yes, I think Jaguar is Up maybe there. three, number three. Well, we maybe done three. some research. Oh, whatever. This is a podcast. No one listens to this shit that we Frivol. say right no they do and then they take it as facts and think they like you guys know so much about cars no yes. well enjoy the blathering plenty more to come well i'm done you gonna clap again nope snap You know, I love how I try to be quiet and then the sound guy is like, I'm opening up a can of espresso. <laughs> uh, I wasn't even breathing. <clears throat> okay. Now I'm out of breath. <laughs> There's like an episode here, right? We're, We're having an episode? <laughs> We're definitely having an episode. Did we, however, record an episode? Oh, no, that's about to happen, right? I'm confused. Well, go forth figure it out okay we've done the introduction already so we already know what this uh, episode is about ostensibly allegedly allegedly mm-hmm. uh, so this came about because in our ample q and a's there was a q about brands that are mm, at risk shall we say dying i believe was the, D- dying was the, term, was yeah. the phrase yes but yeah i was going to say at, at risk uh do we want to discuss a variety of them, or should we focus on just one? I think we should focus on one this time, because I think you have a lot to say. 
about. Oh, uh, this is going to just be us saying Jaguar, Jaguar, Jaguar no. instead of Jaguar. Uh, it's not how it's pronounced. Jaguar. Well, any- I mean, it's three syllables, right? So this was one of the other one of the other Q and A comments that I loved was, "Why are you pronouncing Coop Coop?" Did we talk about this? I think we talked. We about did. This. Yeah, we yes. answered that question. And it's the same reason why we call it Jaguar or Jaguar if you're from the South or Pennsylvania. Um, Jaguar, but Jaguar. Right. Anyway, uh, what would you like to say about Jaguar, sir? Well, I think first we should discuss the question that was asked, which is uh, dying. Why is the Mark Jaguar at risk? Because it's not selling. It's not selling cars. Why is that? Because the cars are not compelling in the marketplace. So this is the thing where you just ask why until you get to the, like ask why successively like five times. Uh, because it, get to the core. the core is usually some imbecile slash twit is in charge, a uh, charge of the company and they're making the wrong decisions. Um, <clears throat> I think ja- Jaguar is a really interesting case because this company is JLR, Jaguar Land Rover. That is the, the company as a whole. And it appears from the outside like all development resources were given to the LR and not to the J. So when you look at the new Range Rover, which I'm driving next week, I haven't been in one yet, but look at all of the Land Rover, Range Rover lineup. They're beautiful. Everything is really well finished, well done. The interiors are gorgeous. Um, These are all top of their class, not all, tend to be top of their class vehicles. So certainly that's true of the Range Rover. Presumably the Range Rover Sport Sport is Mm -hmm. like that. The Velar is stunning. Um, The Discovery looks like a subway. A subway? Yeah, like it looks a, like a subway train. Oh, the train itself, yes. I was going to say. It doesn't look like a place with stairs and what. Um, no, no, it looks like a subway train, sorry. Yeah. I'm just making sure that our levels are okay because uh, I think we switched microphones, but I'm okay, as long as Paolo's not upset. Um, uh, yeah, so... He doesn't look upset. He looks curious. The, the audience doesn't know what Paolo looks like, so we can make, oh, he's masturbating. <laughs> nope, no, he's just laughing, um, <laughs> which... You know, he tends to do at the same time off camera. Um, so if you, <laughs> all I have to do is act like a child and you two laugh. What does that say about you? We're all children. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Jaguar, on the other hand, has not. And the sedans, first of all, Jaguar's, you know, two product lines. One is the sedan lineup. One is the SUV lineup. When JLR, when Jaguar announced that it would be getting into the SUV game, I got quite cross. I thought it was stupid. I said, all right, I think that's appropriate for Jaguar to get in the SUV game right at about the same time as Land Rover gets into the sedan game. Like, come on, just, you have both brands. Keep them, you know, keep Jaguar for what it is and whatever. Might have been the wrong choice given that no one bought any of the Jaguar sedans, but I think Jaguar has been starved Nobody of resources. Nobody buys any sedans. People do buy some. I mean, yes. They, but yes, uh, they are definitely on the downward. That body style is on the on the descent, and SUVs and other hatchbacks are on the ascent, um, which has been true for thirty years. True, I guess that's true. It's been a long. It's been a long time. I, I mean, mean, Ford they, Explorer. Yeah, right? I mean, we're everyone reaching critical. In the nineties, everyone was like SUVs are everything, right. and they cost more money, but people buy them anyway because everyone wants one, and it's the hot new thing. And it's compromised and terrible in almost every way, but maybe one day it'll snow seven feet. And you'll just flip it over and die in a car accident. No, uh, so the, my problem was that Jaguar's sedans have died on the vine. They were once amazing, and I think that's where your expertise will come in. Um, yes, I mean, how far back do you want to go for amazingness? But uh, well, just for example, let's go back to the uh, 
the 2012, I believe it was model year XJ was spectacular. Um, and then when the XF came out, it was really a great sedan to drive. Um, wasn't the best looking Jaguar I think of all time, but it was, uh, in keeping with the, with the, what the brand did. Um, and the last couple generations of cars have been wonderful to drive, but they have genuine, the interiors I would met, piles of shit on the inside and i don't say that lightly because they're genuinely i don't want to be offensive to other piles of shit they're complete crap and i don't understand how that happened when land rover's interiors are spectacular um you know some of them more so than others maybe, but, but nothing like go get an xe and come on like jaguar what that a luxury brand should not have an interior that would be embarrassing in a daiwu and it's uh, such a stark departure from where Jaguar came from. I mean, when the, in the old days, so Jaguar was a very traditional brand for a long time. They were innovative, then they didn't change, and then it became sort of charmingly anachronistic and traditional. Uh, and then they leaned into that one generation, which would be the X350 generation uh, of XJ, aluminum chassis, but they kept the looks more or less the same. And it looked like an old school Jaguar, but it was pretty innovative under the skin. Uh, and then they realized after that that nobody wanted that aesthetic anymore who was in a buying mood. There were people who were more in a dying mood than a buying <laughs> mood. Uh, and so, Which is appropriate for the brand. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but what you could rely on for the most part was you got like nearly Rolls-Royce or Bentley interiors, certainly mm -hmm. for the X300s and the earlier cars of just wood and leather and very traditional Britishness. And it was an experience inside that you wouldn't get in anything else. You know, everyone would always complain about, I don't know, call it the E32 7 series as being really like austere inside. Stark. Uh, stark, you know, somber. Uh, and then you get in a Jaguar and you're like, everything's brown and it's covered in leather and there's lots of wood everywhere and chrome and it just, it's very old world luxury. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was always one of the key differentiators of Jaguar's uh, sedans for decades and decades. And so to hear that they lost the plot on the interiors is really like, no That's wonder crazy. they're floundering. Right. And I get why that the 2012 XJ, when it came out, it was like, okay, we need to leave behind the four headlight past and this sort of like backwards looking aesthetic, come up with something genuinely forward looking and innovative because that is a historic Jaguar value and we need to adapt or we will die. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you've lost the interior, I mean, because that's the thing that, like, for example, when the L322 Range Rover came out in 2000, for the 2003 model year, you, you look inside of that and you're like, holy hell. Because Range Rovers up until that point, the first generations were sort of maybe plush compared to a Jeep right. inside. Right. Uh, and then they were like, okay, we're going to put leather in here, but like the dashboard still looks like it's made out of, you know, Duplos, those, the, the large scale Lego Legos. bricks. Right. Uh, and then they got like, they're like, okay, now it's like almost as nice as like a European premium car for the P38, which is the one that came out in 98, the mm -hmm. second generation Range Rover. And then when the L322 came out, they're like, this is a world-class interior. It's better than it. Like, I don't know who was making a nicer interior in a car when that Range Rover, Range Rover came out in 03. Maybe Audi. Yes, maybe. Right. But it was still kind of like, um, it's like Hugo Boss instead mm -hmm. of like this sort of beautiful architectural interior right. that the, the L322 had. Uh, and so that that value seems to have propagated through to today's Land Rovers. Absolutely. And that's the kind of stuff that Jaguar needs to be doing in, in the interiors of their cars. I mean, because if you are competing against the mainstream European marks, 
you know, German, basically, uh, you have to differentiate from them. And the way to do that is with like a really stellar, like opulent interior, right? right? You wouldn't Sense of occasion, something yes. that Germans don't often do well. They attempt to synthesize it and it sometimes functions. Yeah, I mean, now is the time we have the passion. <laughs> Please insert the passion formula now. Yes, but only for the next 16 minutes, then we have to do something else. 16 minutes and 31 seconds because it's a technological reason we can't go past 1637. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, the when, when you go on a Jaguar press launch and you talk to the people who work on these cars, um, they're dynamics experts. And I always found it very interesting that in the U.S., we don't see Jaguars as, as sports sedans. We've always, at least I didn't. I mean, growing up, you know, in the 80s, they were luxury cars. They were, to me, they were oldie worldy wood-lined hmm. luxury cars. But that wasn't actually true back yeah, then. you get in it and they are great sports sedans. Yeah, so I mean, uh, the most important... Paolo just exploded in the corner, by the way. I hope they heard <laughs> he's that. Trying to, <laughs> oh, he's trying not to sneeze. You already opened your drink. Just let it go. It's by the way, I lied. It's now he's on to beers. Yeah. Uh, so the whole deal with the Jaguar XJ6 when it first came out. I mean, we all tend to now just lump all the old Jaguars in, and this is the part where I'm going to talk about old Jaguars Surprise. at length and explain why how why they were so like world beating. But they were generally world class cars and. Um, We'll just focus for a moment on the sedans. The Jag XJ is probably one of the most important sedans to ever come out. Uh, certainly that was true in 1968 when it arrived. But basically what Jaguar had done is they spent most of the 50s winning Le Mans. Uh, and then they put all of that technology into road cars, sports cars, and the sedans got the same stuff. I mean, uh, inboard rear disc brakes, disc brakes all around, independent suspension, uh, uh, dual overhead cam engines. I mean, all of the stuff that, you know, you get a monocoque construction, which was starting to become mainstream, I guess, by the 60s. Uh, yeah, but still, to put all of those ingredients together in one in car. In a family car. In a family car with a Rolls-Royce in interior. Right. And then handling that Exactly. Match. And so my dad bought a new XJ6 in the late 60s, early 70s. And he was like a sports car guy. I mean, he had like Triumphs and MGs and a couple of E-types. And, you know, he was a hardcore sports car guy. And when he like got married and needed to get a, like an adult car, the car he bought was a Jaguar XJ because he's like, look at all the specs sheet. It's got mm -hmm. a twin cam engine and lots of SU carburetors and <laughs> all this, you know, stuff that's not normally making it into family cars. And so at that era, Jaguars were known for, you know, the quote was space, grace and pace. Uh, and that pace thing, they were genuinely serious about. I mean, they and of course they were the first twelve-cylinder sedan uh, with the XJ12, and I don't know, seventy-two, I think, is when that came out. And I mean, who was the next company to make a twelve-cylinder sedan? It was twenty years. Yes, BMW seven fifty i. And so Jaguar had all of this sort of innovation, and they were athletic cars and good at road holding and all that. And you know, by the time the eighties come around, they were still making the same damn car, and it's so it wasn't so. Right. innovative anymore although you drive one and there's you're still like oh it's got remarkably good road holding for a living room um, <laughs> <laughs> so. i mean i had a lot of experiences in early in 80s cars so i didn't i didn't have jags until uh, i didn't have experience with jags until probably the 90s but in the 80s my parents were 
my dad wanted a Jaguar and I, I don't think he would have been able to afford it, but XJ6 was like double the price of anything else that that he was kind of looking at. And I remember pulling out car and driver. I'm like, dad, that thing does zero to 60 in 11 seconds. You know, they were slow at that point because that four liter straight six had been choked down for two at that four point, two. right? I've been choked down to like 71 horsepower. It came out in 1976. Oh, come on. You know, exaggerating. But yeah, um, little did I know as a, you know, as a 12 year old that uh, I would grow and drive them later and go, wow, you know, it might not have been fast and it might have not revved past 4,500 or 5,000 RPM, but what a magnificent driver's car they were. Mm-hmm. They used to, even in South Florida where I lived at the time when I was exposed to them, they would blow ice balls at you in the summer. They had like GM air conditioning. So mm-hmm. the incredible the air conditioning. Too. Transmission was GM. It all worked. They were fabulously broken down all the time. Yes, um, but not because of the transmission or the air conditioning. No. Uh, so my friend Mike, who I've referred to many times through the years, uh, was a source of a lot of comedy in my life. Uh, when we were in college, he had an... <laughs> had an the eight- architect of the Pontiac Endurance Test That's for those the long-time one. watchers. That's the one. Uh, so we were in college, and there was, there was this outdoor seating area uh, at school, like outside the cafeteria. And we would be sitting outside on the tables, and we would just hear a car coming. And it was like only walkways and <laughs> grass. And you turn around, and there's this XJ6 white, it was an 83 XJ6, slithering down the grass and up flight of stairs. I mean, they're like, you know, not a flight, but like two or three steps. He would just and just kind of park right there and just get out of his Jaguar. And we were like... <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, I'm in a Jaguar. I can do anything I want. And you know, the campus police would show up and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, it broke down. (laughs) You would always come up with these lies. But my, uh, we did have a couple of fun breakdowns. One was Christmas day. I'm sitting down to dinner. This is pre cell phone. And I'm sitting down to dinner with my mom and the phone rings. And he's like, Oh my God, I'm on the side of the road. The Jag caught fire. I'm like, again, <laughs> like seriously. And he's like, you need to come and get me. I'm at whatever street and whatever. He was 25 minutes away from me. So I get in my Corolla, which had a tow rope in the back exactly for the, this purpose. And I drive 25 minutes and <laughs> there's a burn mark in the road, but no car. Um, and so I drive to his mom's house and in the driveway is this burnt, it's a beautiful Jaguar with a burn mark in the hood. He was driving, a woman stepped out in front of him and he hit the brakes and the battery broke out of its mount and shorted out and caught the car on fire. Um, I mean, he, this car <laughs> this car broke down and in the most spectacular ways, like fuel lines would burst and send 50 pounds of, 50 PSI of gasoline all over the place and somehow this thing never fully incinerated itself. And at one point, I, I my mom broke down. She had an 81 and she was pregnant with me and it broke down on Christmas Eve. It didn't break down. She got a flat tire on her way yeah, to work on Christmas Eve. And she's like seven months pregnant with me. Did she just like lift up the car with like super mom strength? <laughs> I think someone helped her change it, actually. Okay. Um, but I, I had enough. I think I think I towed Mike's XJ6 in a, in a year or so that he had it. Probably I towed it three or four times. And finally, I remember screaming at him. And I had this Corolla that my parents made, my mom made me lease. And I hated it, but whatever. It was there. And I will never forget the argument, which was, you know, I'm like, I, I let him have it. I'm like, I'm sick of coming to get you. Get rid of this fucking pile of shit. Go get something German, you know, it works. And he just looked at me and he sort of did the, did the chicken head. And he was like, I look better pushing that fucking Jaguar down the side of I-95 than you do driving your Corolla. Step away. <laughs> and I, I was like, what, what do you say to that? He did look more fabulous. Okay. There's nothing more fabulous looking than somebody broken down in a Jaguar. 
as your seven month old mom can somebody stop to help pregnant seven, yeah seven month old yeah, seven month pregnant mom can probably attest somebody was like she's hot she's broken down in a jaguar and helped her change a tire that's true anyway, it worked for her so anyway, those my xj6 stories uh yeah so we had a lot of a uh, lot of xj6s but anyway so the xj6 was a really significant car when it came out and then you know they replaced it with the xj40 which was a good effort to modernize it, but conceptually kept the car the same, and the X300 was the same thing. And so there was this long trend of continually sort of improving these cars and modernizing them. And they were still quite decent, but they just were... It, they were the right thing probably up until the 90s, and then as the generations sort of proceeded onward, the, they, they realized by the early 2000s, mid-2000s, that that wasn't the way to go. And this, the last XJ, that is the last XJ, right? They haven't replaced it. it was, it's, the, it's done now. Uh, that was a good effort, but I guess last too little, too at late. At some point, there was there was to be an electric XJ replacement. I, I don't remember know hearing the, I, that. Yeah, I don't remember what the status is of at this point. Um, that sums up everything you need to know about <coughs> here's, Jaguar. Here's the the thing, though. I just recently had an S F Pace SVR. I included it in that Icons episode on uh, Nissan Z because it was unbelievable. It mm-hmm. had a sense of occasion. Unlike any of the German, like, you know, X3M, X5M, GLE, all the AMG stuff, all of that stuff is great in a lot of ways. But this was dumb in all of the right ways. It's like a uh, F-type uh, V8 right. in SUV form. Yeah, but I mean, it would literally lift an inside wheel uh, under acceleration coming out of corners, and you felt it. Um, it. The thing was just, you know, absolute coupe slash sports car seats in an SUV. It was It's really fabulous, and it's really... And no one's buying it? I don't think anyone's buying any of the Jaguar SUVs. The, the letdown is the interior. I can't see getting in that, that interior facelift. They, they did a huge interior revision on it, and it went from D minus slash F to like a solid C. Um, maybe even a B. It's not that bad. But I think the damage has been done. I think, you know, people, anyone who walked into a Jaguar dealership in the last 10 years and have seen the interior are just not interested in buying anything else, which is a really big shame because the cars are fundamentally often really good. Well, and I would say that their brand uh, identity is now muddled or unclear it's it's having that alfa romeo problem which is that mainstream mainstream consumers have you know if you say jaguar to them it's just like no matches found like it just doesn't mean anything to them yeah there used to be such a clear identity associated with jaguar and it depends on what era you're asking about but you know if you go back to the beginning it was sir william lyons who was the founder it was originally called swallow sidecar uh and so the cars were called ss prior to Oops. Uh, World War Two, And then after World War Two, for some reason, they changed the name from uh, SS to, to something suck else. Suck and Swallow? I mean, that's um, a really bad name. <laughs> well, Sorry. also, like, after World War Two, you know. No, we, I know. I'm trying to different. Let's not talk about that. Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> this we don't talk about. <laughs> this? Um, and so, you know, they're, they had a pre-war. Their pre-war cars were compelling. They had a sports car that was called the SS90 and the SS100. It was a 100-mile-an-hour car that was relatively inexpensive and had an overhead valve a uh, three and a half liter in line six, and they were they're now wildly collectible. Uh, and so then after the war, they came out with a exciting new engine. I mean, a dual overhead cam engine. When Mercedes wasn't thinking about doing that, Mercedes' first dual overhead cam engine was the M one ten in nineteen seventy. That's like the two eighty motor, right? Yeah, two eighty, yeah. the twin cam two eighty motor. 
Uh, so, you know, they're putting stuff in these cars. where they, So they, they come out with this new engine. They're like, oh, we have to put it into something. You know, it's intended for a sedan because that was their bread and butter. But they were like, oh, we'll just put this in this experimental sports car to show it off because, you know, why not? Uh, and that became the XK120. And that car cost less than anything else and went faster than anything else mm-hmm. in that sort of category. It was 120 was the top speed, The top speed, speed right? in miles per hour. And then they took a windshield off one and then took it to Belgium and it went 128 miles an hour. Uh, in 1948 mm-hmm. uh, and so it was a hugely exciting car that was inexpensive uh, and you know you also have to look at it in context world war ii after uh or great britain after world war ii was like let's like pick up the shreds of whatever is left here and try to return to making something mm-hmm. anything uh and so everybody's putting old pre-war cars in production and you know looking for pots and pans to melt down for metal or whatever uh and they need foreign currencies they're trying to sell stuff overseas and so they come out with this exciting new sports car that's really innovative uh and everyone's like holy shit it's three years after world war ii and you're selling it at what price and just the popularity of the car exploded and then they're like oh yeah by the way we're going to le mans and here we're going to win it Mm -hmm. and we're going to use disc brakes for the first time which Dunlop had invented during World War II for airplanes. Uh, and so it was like cutting edge. It was bleeding edge. It was like a more high performance car than a Ferrari. And Porsche was making Volkswagens at that mm-hmm. point, basically. Uh, and so it was like a top tier sports car. Uh, and the E-Type did exactly the same thing 15 years later, I guess, 61, um, with uh, independent suspension and disc and that brakes same still, that and same the same engine. engine. Yeah. Uh, and the monocoque construction, the, the you know unitary construction, and there was no other car you could buy in 1961 that had all of those things at any price point. No Ferrari, no Mercedes, no Maserati, no Aston Martin had all of that stuff, and this car cost half as much. Uh, so it is, I mean, a huge shame what happened to Jaguar, but that back then there was a very clear articulation of what Jaguar represented. That was you know call it the 1950s and 60s. Uh, and then later on, they had a very clear identity, which was like, we're going to make living rooms on wheels, uh, which is... That's still drive well. Yes, right? that's still drive well. Bringing in that DNA. But they have identity. Right. It, right. When you say the name, it means something to people, which is not, I think, where we are today I think, with that mark. Yeah. I think the weird thing, I think it means different things to different people because historians understand Jaguar's success at Le Mans and in racing. And I think the general population doesn't. So they see the Jaguars, uh, the, the sort of, you know, li- British living room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's something that I don't think Jaguar ever managed to rectify and to, to combine those two things. I don't think anyone in the U.S. market ever saw them as sporty cars. Um, uh, in I mean, the 80s, they, right? Yes, you know, in 70s, the 80s. I mean, and that's a clear reflection of the products because in the 80s, there are two cars you can buy. You can buy an XJ sedan. Or you can buy an XJS, which is a big Cooper GT. convertible. With, yeah, it's a big you know three speed automatic only. They, okay, they sold us sixteen, not sixteen. They sold a couple hundred manual transmission mm-hmm. ones, but yes, I mean it's a three speed GM automatic with a fairly lazy V twelve. Very lazy V twelve. Yeah. What? How many horsepower do they make? Not the not five threes. Ever, yeah, not the two hundred and sixty three. Felt like sixty three. I mean, they were never yes. they were never quick. They were never responsive. Um, uh, in the XJs and XJSs, that's right. true. It's really interesting to, to have driven XJSs compared to an E-Type. So the only E-Type I've ever driven was is a lightweight, one of the continuation cars. Okay, mm-hmm. slightly. What I've been told from other people is never. Now that I've driven a lightweight, don't ever drive the base car because you know they're the standard they're very cars are very enjoyable to drive. If you when you like you, it confers favorably with a 
certainly an Aston Martin DB anything mm-hmm. uh, compares favorably with a 300 SL. Um, okay, that's a high bar. It is um, a heavier, lazier 2000 GT, torqueier. Much torqueier. Yeah, long stroke, mm-hmm. lots of torque. But it, it, the thing that it probably will most remind you of of the cars you've experienced is probably a 2000 GT, just a little bit less uh, live and lotusy. To yeah. me, a Lotus Elan and a, a, a and if you put a Lotus Elan here and an E Type here, then a 2000 GT is it here. It splits the middle. Yes, yeah. uh, I have a clip from I'm I'm sure I, I'm promising it now, so I hope I can find it of what that noise, what that thing sounded like. Um, it was an absolute. I only drove it on track. It was a couple laps, a very slow, uh, slow type course. Uh, it was four speed, and I'm pretty sure I was in first and second gear the whole time. I think one shift into third briefly. Um, Pay attention because if, if, if I can still find this clip, this wasn't me driving. It was the Jag works driver. And they're like, hey, do you want a camera in the car? And I'm like, throw the camera in the car when he drives it. Uh, just absolutely sideways the entire time. You know, when you go to Goodwood, there's nothing better than to see the big, the old Jaguars because they steady state oversteered. And they're just, you're constantly managing that rear end. But the noise that engine made is top five best sounding engines I've ever heard in my life. Amazing for a long stroke engine too. I mean, they didn't only rev to like five grand, right? Five, five, the factory cars, yeah. yes. Um, and then when you build them up, you can go higher. But yeah, it's not a car, yeah. not a super revy but intrinsically. Torque everywhere. Yes. I mean, just absolute monster. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's it's amazing to me <clears throat> to think that that's the same company that twenty years later was making an XJ6 that did zero to sixty in thirteen seconds or whatever it was, eleven thirteen, and you know, and just didn't seem sporty at all except for the chassis mm-hmm. um and i just wish that at some, somebody was in charge of jaguar saying you know what we're gonna do we're gonna make the best sports sedans on the planet with an they have attempted to return a couple of times to sporting intent i mean the f-type was when it arrived it was like holy shit jaguar's making a sports car because jaguar had not made a sports car properly since the late 60s Here's the thing about the, the F-Type. It's unpopular opinion, right? I mean, so the XK, we had an XK long-term when I was at Automobile. When that when that came in, I thought, oh, it's beautiful. It's really cool looking. It's aluminum. It's this. It's very heavy and very, very it's GT. Big GT. Big GT. For sure. And that's why the F-Type was like heralded as the first Jaguar sports car since the 60s. This is where I tend to disagree it came in it looks like a sports car and you get in and it's a four thousand pound that's why GT. i said heralded right <laughs> i mean it just wasn't other than that the engine making magnificent noises or at least loud noises <clears throat> and the and the chassis being pretty damn good um it was a four thousand pound gt minus the rear seats and some some sound dead thing i don't think that car delivers on the promise of its looks and i think frankly jaguar did a really good job at duping Duping is a strong word, but distracting everyone from the fact that really this was a new XK and it wasn't a sports car. Mm-hmm. And I think its sales numbers show that. I think if it drove the way it looked, it, maybe they would have 
What are your primary complaints? I've never driven mm. one. The newest, I, I looked at my spreadsheet, the newest Jaguar I've driven was a 2004 XK8. I've not driven anything since. I mean, really what we should do now is pause the video and have me go back through my comments and look. I don't, my memory, it's been years since I've been in an F-Type. And the last one was the Project 7, which, you know, was what's more... Um, maximum spicy. Maximum spicy. The all-wheel drive system was very good that they put in it at some point. You know, the Jaguar engineers wanted... Weren't they, like, very tail-happy when they were the rear-wheel drive ones? Yeah, they pro they're programmed to go tail-happy first and then slam the clutch shut, <laughs> shut for the front. So the car's a little bit difficult to handle because you'd get an explosion of sideways and then boom the rear rear wheel spin would turn into all wheel spin and then the car would just go neutral or understeer and so you did have to really pay attention they're kind of difficult to drift and difficult to be at the limit but the the bigger theme is it just isn't a driver's car in the way that a porsche is i mean you know they're a thousand pounds heavier than a mm -hmm. boxer came in um they were just everything about that car is heavy-handed and i think sports cars Brute should be light yeah um, and they should be interactive and that, you know, that car went to E-Pass. Yeah, but if they were going to be able to do that, I mean, like, like there are cars that are exceptions to that. For example, Camaro or Shelby, you know, GT350, right? You can make a heavy car dance and that would be the ideal outcome because I can't see Jaguar making a 3,000 pound sports car now. But if they could get their 4,000 pound car to drive, you know, as, drive like a 3, 000, as yeah. athletic as a well set up camaro mm -hmm. or a gt350 that to me would be like the logical spiritual fair enough continuation of with a Jaguar's gorgeous philosophy. gorgeous interior yes right which those cars don't have yep. they're kind of plasticky and they're look i'm being a little bit harsh on them because we're talking about jaguar's faults and the reason why i think it's faltering there's certainly merits to the f-type i mean you know there was a manual for a while there i don't think it's still on sale um the latest facelift i don't think did that car all that many favors it looks less like a jaguar than ever um i don't know what what it does look like um but they're they're good cars but my question is where's the spark where's the special right now that we're down to a v6 eh, a supercharged v6 which is actually a v8 with two cylinders so like it's a no 90. pistons missing it's a 90 but it's mm -hmm. you know that the block is the same so this is one of my favorite things about no. jag so it started cylinder delete piston delete. piston delete so this is I have a hard time with this because this is either genius or ghetto or probably both. <clears throat> when you have an engine uh, that takes up a certain space in the engine engine compartment, right? You have one cooling system. You have a cooling system and every, all the ancillary devices have to be placed in one spot. To go from a v, V8 to a V6, right? The back part of the, the engine, the rear of the engine is going to be, i.e. the front of the transmission, is going to be in the same spot. So the front of the engine becomes should shorter. Yes. We should move aft. And that means you have different hoses for the cooling system because the cooling system, the distance between the radiator and the front of the motor, you'll have all kinds of different accessories, different wire, different length of wire for the alternator. If you think about it, all those little things. And then you have to crash test and certify that car because now you have additional crush space. So it's a major change to the front of the car structurally in, in an accident. Jaguar's solution was to make one engine from an exterior, <laughs> from the exterior dimensions, right? And so you have a V8, and in the in the case of the V6, they kept everything exactly the same in the front. So it's all the same accessories, and it's the, the engines in the same spot, but the rearmost two cylinders are missing, and in their place is just basically an external structure of a block with some holes in it. And you can look right down in there; the heads end. At, so you have three cylinders on each side. The head is three cylinders long. And then there's a black, uh, like a block off plate. And then in on the crankshaft where those two throws for the, for the rearmost two cylinders 
or pistons would be is a counterweight which you need for a 90 degree v6 and so in theory it's the most ghetto solution in the world right i mean just put a fucking v6 in it on the other hand if you're trying to contain costs and you don't have the R&D money because your company's not doing well, what a stroke of genius. This is the opposite of the LFA thing, right? The LFA thing was supposed to be the dimensions, the power of a 10-cylinder in the with the weight of a 8-cylinder with the dimension or the dimensions of an 8-cylinder with the weight of a 6-cylinder right. or something like that. And this is the this opposite. Is the opposite. This is a V6 that weighs the same or possibly even more. <laughs> no, it's, it's about nearest makes no difference. Weighs the same as the V8 and doesn't help weight distribution. Either. Yeah, because they took out the back two. They should have taken right. out the front two. Well, if they took out the front two, it really wouldn't have mattered because the accessories are all over there on the front plate. I mean, it was just... And plus, maybe structure of the engine would collapse differently in an accident. So who knows? Who know? I mean, uh, on the fence. Either way, not appropriate for engineering for a company that won Le Mans as many times as Jaguar did, and brought four-wheel disc brakes into the world and you know for production cars and pioneered so many different other well, things. Well, Citroen. Oh, four-wheel. You did say four-wheel. four-wheel. Okay, good. Yeah. Well done. Um, Citroen was the first. Look at that, internet use. commenters. <laughs> Back off. Uh, Citroen was the first production disc brake in a passenger car correct uh i've heard that number i've heard that tossed around before although someone might be like the panard le voisier of uh, 1952 or something like that but yes as far as i know yeah. uh that's correct <laughs> and then yeah jaguar yeah. did four-wheel disc brakes i think in 1958 or 59 yeah, uh, really early really early 50 yeah. yes before porsche which we always think of as being like on the bleeding edge of brakes before ferrari before mm-hmm. mercedes yeah, before Lamborghini stores. even existed, Correct. before Honda existed. I mean, I think Honda's, <laughs> that, that's a perfect example of the, the, that whole engine thing, right? The, the V6 and the V8 thing, where this is something that Honda would like, Honda engineers will pass out if they see, right? I mean, you, you brought up Mercedes Lexus. also. Oh, Mercedes would do that. What? M- Mercedes would totally do that shit. Oh, how nowadays. To, oh, yeah. Yes. How to overly complicate something and make it even more heavy and expensive? <laughs> in. Yeah, but not in the. They wouldn't have done that in the old days. Mm, I mean, they did in figure the out how to. In the 126 days? They would not do that in the W126. I got to think days. about this because this is the company that did actually make direct injection work with mechanical fuel injection in the 1950s. Correct. They would stop at nothing. Yes, but that's like a, a pure engineering solution rendered. It's not like some weird oh, cooched together yeah. okay. thing where you're like, yeah. well, if we just do this, then it probably functions fine and no one yeah. will notice. Fair enough. Mercedes was concerned with spending as much as they possibly could on the correct engineering versus Jaguar's. Yes, exactly. Now, right, that's besser oder nichts, right? Yeah. Like, and now and Jaguar's das nichts oder besser. <laughs> <laughs> We'd rather do nothing than do it well. <laughs> Pull another piston out. Uh, I don't know, I'm probably not supposed to tell the story, but when that V6 first came out, one of my coworkers, I think I was at Automobile at the time, um, was in France test driving one and uh, Rod came flying through the side of the block and he came back and he was like, ah, we had two engine failures on the press launch, like something's up. <clears throat> and I saw a picture of the schematics of the engine and I was like, it's missing. <laughs> it's missing two cylinders. What the fuck? Um, and apparently the failure had come from some bearing on those flying arms, like the center, the bearing supporting those flying arms. They fixed it before production, obviously, because I've not heard of any of them blowing up. But like that is just the ultimate 
ghetto slash great engine. Hey, you don't have the budget. You need to you need to make a V6 and a V8 work. Yeah, but what Jaguar <clears throat> used to do in the, that, that situation was they designed a really brilliant, fundamentally superb car and didn't change it for 20 for years. <laughs> right, which I'm sure the late 80s Jaguar was not in wonderful financial situation. They couldn't. Well, they got purchased by Ford in right. 1987. Uh, and they did invest just an absolute, like, me- absolute metric shitload of money in redeveloping their cars in the 80s. Uh, and the ni- 90s Jaguars are pretty decent cars, actually. I just... Uh, like the uh, X300 XJs and yeah. the late XJ6s uh, and uh, the early XK8s. <laughs> I'm, of course, going to the next decade because I'm thinking about X-Type and S-Type. Oh, well, yeah, no, fuck <laughs> all that. Well, no, fuck all that. It was hilarious. I, Hertz used to have what they called the prestige collection. And it wasn't all that much more to rent a decent car. And I had, it was a business trip to, to um, where do they burn the witches? Salem, Massachusetts. So flying to Boston and I pick up my Jaguar X-Type uh, three liter. It wasn't even a two five, it was a three liter um, uh, from the Hertz counter. And it was like midnight or something. And so I, this is like really dating this story. Do you remember Hertz never lost? Oh, yeah. Hertz, yes. You Hertz, could like get a GPS for like $10 a, a day. Yeah. There was like this Hertz branded sort of navigation that they stuck in the car for you. Um, and so I turned on my lever, never lost with, with one of my coworkers. We land in Boston and we're going through and we are going like full on ghetto, like genuinely middle of the night. There's shit on fire, like 55 gallon drums of fire. I'm like this is really bad. And bam we hit this pothole it was actually not even a pothole it was a seam across the road and had a tire issue so we get out and both front tires are flat awesome and i'm like well this sucks and i open the trunk and the rear tires uh, and the spare tires flat so now i have three flats and two tires that hold air so i boop hit the help button on the never lost and the lady gets on the phone and she was she was very very lovely and i'm like i you know I have three flats, so we kind of need a we need help. And she's like, "Okay, I'm contacting your Never Lost right now." Oh, oh, oh. Um, do you know where you are? And I'm like, "I don't." I was just following Never Lost. She's like, "Can I ask you?" This is something that would never fly today. She was like, "Can I ask you a question? Are you white?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Get out of there!" <laughs> I was like, "What?" She's like, yo, and Lynn. And I was like, what? What? She's like, don't you know the song? Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. Once you, you go back in, like, there's a song. There's apparently, I'm sure everyone's going to be corrected. Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. Um, like, you go in, you never get out. Like, basically, it's just like everyone gets murdered there. She's like, yo, white boy in a Jaguar, get out. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? She's like, drive. I don't care about the tires. I don't care about the car. Just drive. And so we drove on two flat tires for, I don't know a mile or so and just got out of the really really bad section into just regular bad section um and the tow truck guy shut up he's like you are lucky you're not dead like get in the truck i'll i'll hook the car up to the to to the wrecker and get you out of there but it was one of those moments you're like maybe navigation system isn't the best thing in the world because it brought us right through what was apparently a war zone at the time Um, so how did the jaguar make out uh, i got another one um which was wonderful they were great rental cars Great rental car. Yeah, because you're, it was like an E46. It was comparable to an E46 in its performance, um, especially with the three liters. You could get them with all-wheel drive. They rode well. The three well. liters, I think, were all all-wheel all drive. drive. If I, remember I, think, I think you're right. Because um, they should have been front-wheel drive because it's a Ford would Contour. have otherwise been front-wheel drive, yeah. Yes. Um, they were, yeah, that's true. I guess all of them were all-wheel drive, even the two fives. Maybe in the U.S. Yeah. 
Um, but it was a it was a perfectly competent. I thought it was like a shitbox contour Ford contour shitbox. It box. wasn't that bad. Really? I mean, it's a rental. Look, I'm I'm, I'm buying one. Um, and same thing with the, the S-Type. The S-Type was a Lincoln LS. LS in drag, yeah. And that was a wonderful chassis. They were really, really good. Again, something that I think is irrelevant to most Jaguar buyers. Oh, it handles neutrally and you know rides well over, over big bumps. I don't think Americans really care about ride quality at max lat. You know, but um, other than the interiors falling apart and the exteriors falling apart, and then the mechanicals falling apart and the electronics falling apart, they were lovely cars. <laughs> I think Jaguar, more than anything else, has a reputation for shit reliability in the U.S. Yeah, and that is in large part the result of the Series Three XJ and that era generally. What was that? Was there that one year car that was a half a year car? It was an eighty-six and a half XJ6, I think, was the one that went to the digital dash. Oh, um, 87 was the last year of the Series 3. I think that the digital dash in the early XJ40s ran until, I think, 89 or 90. Okay, so Mike, again, bought, bought one that broke down constantly. And apparently it was, it was like every time he walked into a mechanic shop, they're like, oh, you got that yeah, it one. Yeah, was an 88, 89, yeah. I think. Do you remember what the turn signal sounded like? We may have to find a video. Yes, it's not unlike the F50 turn signal noise. It's a like a bloop, boop, boop, it's a, boop, It's boop, a Snapple boop, bottle going, yeah. oh, this won't. It's no, not like, like that. that. It's like you know the top the, of a snapple the, cap. The lid of a top. Of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. a little metallic. My mom's um, car makes that. She has a 03 XJR and it still makes that noise. That's cool. It's a cool turn signal sound. If you're going to have fake sound effects like all cars now do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those cars were... Not reliable. My other Jaguar story was XF comes out. We have a long-termer at the automobile office in Michigan. I moved to California. I'm in love with the car. Everything's great. All of my neighbors start coming over asking, hey, what are you doing? Well, there's cars outside. They figure out I'm not a drug dealer, which is what I told them I did because I wanted them to leave me alone. Um, And they all start asking me what they should buy. And Mm -hmm. so I sell three of my neighbors on the idea of buying an XF. Uh, Two of them had six cylinders. One had a V8. And uh, all three of them wound up lemon lawed. Oh, good. <laughs> and the final straw was the neighbor calls me and he's like, this fucking thing broke down again. And he left him on the side of the road like at 11 o'clock at night. And it was just dead, dead. And meanwhile, from the time I convinced them, um, from the from the time I moved here and convinced them all to buy them, our, our XF started falling apart in Ann Arbor and like left it was constantly dead and there was like no way into the trunk to, to jumpstart this I didn't know they thing. were that bad that late. They were that bad. This was 08. It had to be about 08. I um, am, I'm surprised to hear that they were shit cars that so late. Oh, the, here's the, the punchline is my direct next door neighbor is calling me. So it's actually the, the whatever, stepdad. He's screaming, this fucking thing left me dead, whatever. All right, okay. Just the Jaguar dealership will help you out. Like he's like, you need to help me. They denied his lemon law complaint, right? California is very simple. 21 days out of service or three times for the same for the same problem sets off the lemon law. And if it breaks again one more time or one more day out of service, it's just night like black and white. They're buying it back. They denied his claim. He was like 70 something days out of service. And they're like, no, no, no. You have to have 21 more days now. And so I was just about to call Jaguar corporate. Um, and they got him into the, they towed him back. Somebody sent a tow truck like late at night, got him to the dealership. The service manager met him at the, sorry, it was the next morning. So so service manager gets him and he gives him an LR4 
as a loaner car again. And he's pissed off about this. Even if I wanted a friggin' SUV, I would have bought a friggin' SUV. I love this car. I want it to work. And the next day, the LR4 dies on him and leaves him on the side of the road dead. Will not restart. Totally dead. He's, he, I'll never forget this. He called a cab, left the LR4 on the side of the road with the keys in the ignition, and said, you can come and get your fucking thing, uh, your, your Land Rover. You can keep my fucking XF. And took a taxi to the Infinity dealership and <laughs> bought a, QX, a QX56 or QX50, whichever one was at the time. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I, the next trip I was on, I think was, might have been the that uh, E-Type lightweight, whatever it was, the very smart, very sarcastic, uh, very witty PR guy from Jaguar North America sat me down at lunch next to the guy responsible for reliability. And he of course did this move things like this happen at car companies every person on the trip was was invited directly not their publication so typically you know hey car and driver would you we all got invited by name and didn't know that the reason we had been invited by name was all of us had been broken down in a jaguar <laughs> so we all get sat next to this guy at dinner and he's like you know it's very important for us to you know we're chief number one in reliability and i just remember turning around to him like you're fucking kidding me, right? And so we all start exchanging war stories and the conversation's escalating and escalating. And this guy's like defending. He had the gall to defend himself. No, no, we're completely, you know, we've turned a new leaf and everything completely reliable and JD Power this. And we basically killed him. I th I'm sure he went home and cried. I mean, I just, <laughs> I, I showed no mercy. And I'm like, I'm fucking humiliated. Do you know how many of these cars I sold? And then how many calls I've gotten? I'm on the side of the road again. I'm on the side of the road again. I'm on the side of the road again. You should be ashamed of yourself. You know, it started out, you should be ashamed of yourself and turned into me screaming at him and him eventually getting up and leaving the table. Um, but that was one of the, <laughs> one of the internal ways that PR people can PR things. Um, but that was how bad those cars were. Hmm. Shame shame and now they've i mean and now it's just completely ruined everything i have i think it's ruined jaguar's reputation between that and the interiors i don't see there coming any coming back for jaguar that's a really sad thing to say i mean it is and so if we were to design the ultimate outcome suppose you put someone in position who understood the current market and that understood the ha history of jaguar and gave them a pile of money okay derek tam scott i'm giving you five dollars in in one dollar bill so it's a pile of five five dollars what are you doing with jaguar how do you fix i'm jaguar? not the right person because i look to the past too much and nobody gives a shit all right you have to ask really? the questions what are the core values that define jaguar what differentiates jaguar i mean historically it's been their magnificent interiors so the key ingredient of a good jaguar is that it should have a wonderful interior it should function as a car which means be just reliable enough that people are willing to tolerate it um you know ideally would do better than that uh, it needs to be emotive. It needs to have a level of ex expressiveness and emotionalness to the aesthetics and to the driving experience. It needs to be an intrinsically sporty experience. Um, so yes, it needs to look good. It needs to have a wonderful interior. It needs to be dynamically wonderful. It needs to be technically innovative. It needs to be reliable. You know what you're describing, right? Uh, any number of other cars. Gen Genesis. <sighs> yeah i mean if you think of the hyundai's push in the last couple of years like started out with with the stinger right that was albert bierman's first project at hyundai he came from bmw m made that car drive it was a not a wonderful car but it drove amazingly well and that sort of filtered down to a lot of different hyundai genesis products uh, hyundai slash genesis slash kia um 
products. And I think there's a desirability there on those cars that's really missing from a lot of other cars. So I think what you're describing is Genesis plus, you know, Genesis when Biermann was involved. Uh, those cars are really what Jaguar should be right now. Hmm. Don't know how reliable they are. I, God, I got so much probably hate. fine. I got so much hate mail on the Genesis Icons episode. People are saying that, you know, oh, the they're listing all of the problem areas the cars have. You know, there's a couple class, class action lawsuits against you know, uh, Hyundai, I think, for, for different engine failures. There are always class action lawsuits against everyone for engine failures. Engines fail. Things happen. And unfortunately, the Internet has allowed everyone to speak to each other. And so everyone has the same issue. It tends to make it magnified. Right, because yeah. they're pissed off and they want the attention to be focused right. on their issue. And then some other person, you sell 100,000 cars, a couple of them are going to blow up and you get 65 people in one forum saying, yeah, mine blew up, yeah, mine blew up. And next thing you know, it looks like the cars have a 100% failure rate when they don't necessarily. I'm not saying I know anything about these Hyundai problems, but um, I've certainly heard a lot of feedback after that video of the dealer network as a problem. Uh, because they're used to dealing with Hyundai customers and not Genesis customers, um, and that there are some fundamental engineering and reliability issues with Hyundai, Hyundai and Genesis products. I don't know. All I'm saying is from a desirability factor. And from your ability to evaluate the car when it's sitting in front of you, right? You're not right. doing long-term tests on these cars. This Correct. is what the purpose of magazines is, to get cars in the long-term mm -hmm. fleet and see how they actually handle, yeah. hold up when you put 36,000 miles on well, them. And also that's, a, that's also an isolated individual case, right? This is the, this is the purpose of consumer reports and who, which aggregates customer, uh, customer experiences or even JD power to a sl slightly lesser extent, I think, but I think consumer reports does a better job on this. So I typically send people to CR. I'm like, Hey, I don't know. I, you right. Know. You're just evaluating it on your ability um, mm -hmm. with the X days that you right. have with the car, which yeah. is all you can do. You can't, apply 36,000 miles to 600 cars when you have a three-day press loan. Right, exactly. Thank <laughs> try you for, as you might. Thank you, try as I, and I do. Trust me, I do. I, there are certain things that I do that probably would put more stress on certain components over over my week-long loan than most people do in 36,000 miles, but that's just hearsay. For science. For science. Um, yeah, so you would you would turn, you would take Genesis's current lineup, put a bunch of Jaguar matches on it, make them a little sportier and have you have have at it yeah i mean that's effectively it i described the perfect car is what i did i mean like it's not rocket science you have to make something good <laughs> it has to be look good it has to have a nice interior it has to be reliable and it has to be nice to drive it right? clearly is so rocket science everybody I mean, wants in a car I mean, it's what jack were used to be able to do with the possible exception of reliability uh i think reliability for jaguars is not as bad as people say for the old ones for the old ones i'm talking about pre-fuel injection carbonated oh, okay. ones yeah um they just leaked a lot right they, was... they 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 do leak a lot yeah they're, they are but once you kind of get them baseline they're not terrible it depends what you're used to also if you're used to a ford mustang then yes it's more work mm -hmm. to live with one of those cars uh but yeah i mean jaguar has done it in the past that's what historically differentiated them and so spiritually it is return to the past even if it's not a literal return to the past which is what jaguar tried to do until the last you know until the mid-2000s i guess the aesthetically yeah, I would love to see a series of Jaguar wagons as we as we all go electric. I think we have a chance anyway. Maybe this is just hopeful um, that wagons will make a, a, a comeback in that frontal. You want to minimize frontal area, so you want to minimize height uh, for range. And I think there's a chance now. You we're seeing it. I uh, think consumer preferences are so much that they would need feel a need for suvs and have this irrational fondness for but suvs that they are not willing to tolerate land rover takes care of that 
So Jaguar is a brand, right? So here, you know, you have Polestar as a brand, right? That Polestar 2, which I have outside right now, I'm driving one at the moment, is based on an XC40. It's a very tall, awkwardly proportioned, ultimately beautiful sedan because the designers are are able to mask the proportions of it. Turn that into a wagon, and you, which it's coming. That's the Volvo, Pol, the Polestar 3. Is it an SUV? Mm, kind of, not really. But you're seeing things like ID4, which are not, Volkswagen's ID4, which is not a true SUV, but it's also not a sedan. It's kind of a tall wagon. Um, I think we... That sounds an awful lot like an SUV. I think we're going to see SUVs become slightly slightly lower and sleeker. Lower and longer versus, you know, this never-ending tall. I, for one, would welcome that because as someone who's obviously, like all good car enthusiasts, a station wagon enthusiast, there's not a lot of options out there. You're like Audi all-road products, the... Uh, the, the sad v, part about that, all of them is they all, even Mercedes. the Mercedes E-Class now has that fake cladding on it to make yeah, it look yeah. like an SUV. Yeah. It's my hope that the push for aerodynamics will just nudge car makers. We're not going back to wagons. It's not, not right now. But if it pushes manufacturers to lower these cars a little bit and make them a little bit sleeker and longer and give them more wagon-ish proportions, that'd be cool. And I think that's where Jaguar could be. The Velar, for example, the Range Rover Velar is a long, low-ish thing. Take another inch out of that thing, kind of drop it a little bit, square it off, and you have a wagon-looking thing that could, with a fabulous Isn't interior. that under the skin, just a Jaguar F-Pace? F-Pace, it is. But the F-Pace looks like a blob. The yes. F-Pace looks like an know, SUV. Blobby SUVs are, I mean, they, what they've done is they've tried to unbox them, but mm-hmm. they just end up looking like melting. Yeah, melting uh, cough drops. Yeah, I would love to see the Velar turned into a wagon, um, not and not the XF. This was the other thing that remember that XF Sport Brake. That was mm, they a really, sold. I think six of them. Friend of mine has one. Eighty thousand dollar brand new sticker. He bought it for thirty thousand dollars. Fifty grand off. Uh, How used was it when he bought it? It was a demo. I think it had six thousand miles on it. It was nothing. But he got fifty thousand dollars off. I remember when that car came out. I was furious because you could get an XF Sport Brake or a comparably equipped F Pace, which is the SUV. Um, and they were $30,000 apart in price. And this is one of those instances where I want to take the product planner and strangle them and say... Because you're like, nobody wants wagons. Nobody's buying them. You're like, well, gee. No, you could. You would have to be either immensely wealthy or just stupid to spend $30,000 more on a, on an inferior product because the, the F-Pace for that same price had... had uh, all-wheel drive, when I don't think the wagon came standard with it. There was equipment-level differences that you couldn't even make up for, and there was still $30,000 between the two of them. And when you talk to those product planners, they say, well, that's just the cost because we have to amortize the cost of... Over six units. Over the six units that we're going to sell. But they make them unbuyable. TSX Sport Wagon was another one. They made it unbuyable because of option package. This happens a lot. Um, so I think... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's like a Jetta wagon price versus a Tiguan. right. Um, so it makes it impossible to buy these wagons, and I think that's that's a different episode. Right, yes, we've digressed. In any case, Jaguar doesn't look long for this world, but, you know, maybe someone will come up with a hat trick or whatever. I hope so. Wonderful brand. It Story history. It. Great straight six noises. Mm-hmm. They should get rid of that V6, too. The, yes, and replace V8. it with an actual V6. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> You, one never uses an actual V6. Straight six. Yes. I mean, if Mazda's doing a straight six now, come on. No more excuses. You know this, right? No. Oh, yeah. 
Mazda is, has just come out with a straight six engine that will be in, and it will be mounted longitudinally and rear wheel drive in their sedans coming up. Next, next it's Mazda a new BMW. Yeah. It's a new BMW. Mm-hmm. Holy hell. So yep. who, so Mazda and BMW making line sixes is anybody Mercedes. else still Mercedes? Yes. With the Jaguar with Land the, Rover has a straight six again. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. The Ingenium six. The straight sixes are making a comeback. Thank the Lord. Right. Can we just get rid of these V6s, please? Shit can them forever. Not my. Or make them all be 60 degrees. Even that. The Pentastar in the in the camera van is 60. It's fine. Ah, it's really smooth. In a car that's so well isolated, it doesn't matter. V6s have no place in sports cars. Except for Busos and Dinos. And we have no place at this table any longer. Bye. Because it is the end of this episode. Okay. Episode number 70. Don't <laughs> stop it. <laughs> no numbers. Okay. Uh, join us next week for another episode of The Carmudgeon Show, where we car and mudgeon. Sometimes both at once. <laughs>